How is everybody this morning? Amen. Good, good. Hope everybody's doing well online as well. Thank you for choosing to stream in uh, with us, live stream. We are so excited to have you joining us today. Got a full house, got a packed house. I want to remind you, uh, I know D-Now is going on. I know we got a lot of students. I appreciate you guys sitting on the front row. I know, I know y'all meant to do that, right? Y'all came in wanting to sit on the front row. Uh, so that's good. That's good. And they really want me to call them out in the middle of service too. That's, that's really what they want too. Uh, but I am, I'm so excited about what God's doing. I want to remind you, uh, if you would like, if it suits your family, we would like to invite you, uh, that worship in our 1030 service to our nine o'clock service as well. Got a little more room to move around. And now we have preschool, uh, ministry as well that happens at that nine o'clock hour. And so, uh, I just wanted to let you know that, make sure that you were aware of that because we do have that as an option as well moving forward because we got a lot of folks in here today, which is a great, great thing. And man, we're thankful for you and thankful uh, to God for giving us the opportunity to minister to you. We are in our second week of Better Than Good, our series that we're tracking with all three campuses, focused in on the holiness of of God. Last week we talked about Isaiah, how he had a very real encounter with Jesus, or with, with the Lord, excuse me, with the king. In the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the king and saw him in the brunt force of his holiness and his majesty. And so today we, we talked about adoration last week. Today we're going to talk on the issue of atonement. If we adore Christ, if we see him for who he is and we recognize him that God is God and we must come to him on his terms, not our own. Not on what is comfortable, but what is correct. And so so we come to him on his terms. We're going to find when we see him for who he is, it has profound ramifications for our life. I've heard it said hindsight is 20-20. The premise being, what you see after you've experienced it, you know a lot more than when you're actually going through it, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. When I was in college, we had preview day weekends. And what that meant was at the University of Mobile is there were prospective students that would come in uh, and they would preview the campus for this weekend. And people like myself and others that were involved in campus ministries and, and in residential life, we would have to host these students. And so in order to make room for them, they would bring in these mattresses. And so they would sleep on the mattresses and they would bring like 30, 40 mattresses, depending on the students that we had, and they would sit them in the lobbies of the dorm rooms before they would divvy them out to all the different class, all the different dorm rooms. Well, one day we decided uh, to take full advantage of these mattresses. We decided that a lot of fun could be had if we stacked these mattresses up, giving us plenty of room to land, and we we could stack these mattresses up and high enough that we could jump off the second floor of Samford Hall and land on these mattresses. And in the spirit of full disclosure, it was fun for a little bit. All right, it was fun. The first two or three times, it was fun. And then testosterone got involved. 
That's an ugly thing. And guys, I know that y'all are in sports and things like that. You've got outlets for it. But when you go to college, if you're not playing sports, like you don't have an outlet. you got intramurals, but what's, what's softball going to do, right? I mean, you've got all this testosterone. you got to have an outlet for it. So we began to compete on who could do the most death-defying stunt as you jump off the second floor. Like, that wasn't bad enough. Let's one-up it a little bit. So we had some guys doing flips onto the mattresses. That worked out really well. We had guys that were jumping off the rail instead of jumping off the floor. That worked really well as well. They, we did multiple times. The, the bar was raised, and then it was my turn, right? So I'm not going to be outdone. I decide it's going to be no sweat for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crawl over the rail, and I'm going to lay back as I fall, put my hands behind my head, and just like, just like I'm taking a nap, like this is nothing. I've done it two or three times. I'm an expert. Watch me go, right? To this day, you can go on my Facebook page. The first profile picture that I have on my entire Facebook page is me halfway between the first and second floor at Sanford Hall. All right, they, they, they documented it, as has ac- actually happened. But there were two things I did not consider as I approached this jump. One is, men's bodies are a lot heavier above the waist than they are below the waist. I expected to fall like this. It's not how I fell. I fell more like this toward my head and neck area. Um, I expected to fall straight up and straight down. But when you fall backwards, there is a horizontal distance that you travel as well as vertical, right? And so I went, by the time I hit the mattresses, I was at the very, very edge of the landing spot. Y'all, I'm not joking when I say probably six inches from splat, all right? Dead, like no more Alan Ostrisky. Instead, I hit the very back of the mattresses. It slings me into the wall of the dorm. And I, to this day, you can go to Sanford Hall and turn immediately to your right on this frame right here of the window. You can see where I, my foot broke that seal, like actually knocked it, knocked it sideways. And so, of course, I'm hurt. I mean, I am really in a lot of pain, but testosterone, right? So I get up like everything's fine. Everybody's like, oh, Al, are you okay? And I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Walk to my dorm room and I die, right? Like, and I'm, I'm there forever, right? And so, and so as I'm in my dorm room, I'm thinking to myself, you know, beforehand, that seemed like a really good idea. After the fact, that was a very, very poor choice. What, what was the difference? Experience. Experience gave me perspective. Hindsight is better than foresight because of perspective. Experience is the best teacher. There are many things that I've learned as I have gotten older that experience has taught me. Last night, experience taught me that I probably should not have slept considering it was a denial weekend. Instead, what I should have done is taken my paintball gun to the dormer of my house and unleashed a barrage on some teenagers as they decided to roll my yard. That's what I should have done. It won't happen again, by the way, because I'll be ready, right? Trip wires and what have you, all right? And so, and so hindsight being 2020, maybe I should have done things a little bit different. 
Um, I have learned major lessons. Like when I was in college, people would ask me like how my schedule was, and I would actually tell them I was busy. Can I just tell you, if you're a college kid, you ain't busy. You don't know busy until you have a kid that's, have two kids, excuse me, that are in sports in Limestone County. Because when they're in sports in Limestone County, you literally have to be omnipresent to pull off being in two places at one time. You don't know busy. I thought I did, but experience has taught me a lot. Experience has taught me a ton, like how antibiotics will reverse the effects of birth control before. (laughs) I was literally a month and and three days into our marriage, and we are having our first kid. Why? Antibiotics. Experience is a great teacher. If I knew then what I know now, things may have been different. We wouldn't take take Cooper for anything, but he was not expected. So, uh, So here's the thing. Experience is the best teacher. Perspective is what we're seeking. And so when we talk about Isaiah, think about the experience of Isaiah. Some of that's way more information than you needed to hear. (laughs) I ran it by my wife. She was okay with me saying it. Isaiah didn't just have an experience. When we talk about the experience that Isaiah had, he probably had, for all intents and purposes, through vision, perhaps the most significant experience any man has ever had in the history of mankind. Let's read it together in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read what we read last week, the text of Scripture we read last week, just to set the tone for where we're going today. In verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah had an encounter with God Almighty. What an experience. And listen to what it did in the prophet. The first thing that we see is the revelation about the prophet. Listen to what's the first thing that came to Isaiah's mind after seeing this in verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. The word literally in Hebrew means I am coming undone. I am unraveling. I am exposed. I am destroyed. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How we see God has profound ramifications for for our life, primarily how we view ourselves. Isaiah chapter 5. When you read Isaiah chapter 5, and we read this scripture in context, Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah lays out six different woes to the people of God. He's prophesying in Judah, and he's talking about, as he is identifying these woes, he is identifying things 
that the nation of Israel has become known for and must address. Sins that they have to deal with. It's the sins of others. And so he has six different woes that we see. Woe is the, is the word that is used there. Woe is an attention word. It's an attention-grabbing word. It's a word that's causing you to pause, to communicate, most of the time, some type of danger. And so here are the six woes when you, we can read them in, in Isaiah chapter 5. The first one is there's a woe to those who, are, who ignore social justice. That there are people who are taking land from the poor who can't defend their land. People that are rich and have plenty to defend it are taking their land over to increase their estate. They are trampling on the poor. They they are ignoring social justice. Then number two, there is a woe to those given to drunkenness and partying. Those that live a riotous lifestyle as the King James would render the prodigal son. Right, Those that are living recklessly. There's a woe that's issued to them. Thirdly, there's a woe to the cynic and the liar. Those that are weaving a, 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 a web of lies and, and disillusion and they're being dishonest. Number four, there's a woe to the one that calls good evil and evil good. The truth of God's word is manipulated and then called good, whereas God's word is in fact called evil. Number five, there's a woe to the one's that are ate up with pride. There was an attempt. The, these, these people, because of their nationalism, were so caught up in who they were that they, 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 ne- they, ne- they saw no need in seeking out the help of God. So they just pretty much had things on their own. And then sixthly and finally was a woe to the drunkard and the unjust. Those that treated people unfairly and treated people with preferential treatment. These are six woes that we find. And when we look at them, we could almost one for one see how this identifies where we live today. Right? The first woe, ones that ignore social justice, right? We are living in a day where social injustice is a primary hot-button topic. And so regardless of where you fall on the issue, this is a major issue that we as a nation are dealing with. The second thing, right, those that are squandering everything, those that are living a lifestyle of extravagance, we do it and we call it the American dream. That we live well beyond our means to suit our own pride. There's cynicism and liars. People who are cynical. And and so much so that we've lost trust in our leaders. We've lost trust in those that God has appointed as the anointed to lead. There's a woe to one that calls good evil and evil good. We live in a country that has taken the truth of God's word. We live in a world that has taken the truth of God's world, of God's word, and they've defined truth based on their feeling as a, as, as, as instead of the truth of God's word. I don't feel like this is true for me, so it's not. And so we have people who have taken evil, and they've not just approved it, but they've elevated it. They've rewarded and awarded sin. Our country as a whole is ate up with pride. It's why 
Shows of incredible patriotism can bring a tear to our eye, but songs of repentance have no effect and fall on deaf ears. We live in a country saturated in pride. And there's injustice everywhere that we see. The problem is, though, this is six woes. The list of woes is not complete until Isaiah chapter 6. What does he say? Upon seeing God for who he was, he says, Woe is who? Not the person down the street. Not the person on the street corner, not the person in the school, not the person at their job, not somebody else. He concludes the list of woes with number seven, the number of completion. Woe is me. Y'all, we can spend our whole life as a church blaming other people and blaming other things for the problems in our land. When ultimately, if we would look inside, we'd see... The problem doesn't rest with everyone else. The problem rests in us as well. In the church, not being the church, not taking its rightful place, we have shirked our responsibility in light of things that were easier. And we've missed it. And so Isaiah ends his woes after having the encounter with God By saying, woe is me. Why was there woe to be had? Because if when you appear in front of a king and you're improperly dressed, if you're not prepared to meet the king, this was an offense that could lead to your death. If you weren't ready to enter his majesty's presence, you could be killed, you could be destroyed. And Isaiah saw himself for who he really was in light of who God really was. And so he says, woe is me. I am undone. I have sin. I have iniquity. And I am in the presence of pure holiness. Immediately, Isaiah was filled with humility. In your notes, pride is the result of a life focused on self. Humility is the result of a life focused on God. There is a mentality, a good old boy mentality, that if I'm good enough, if I try hard enough, we've talked about this over and over from this pulpit, right? That there is a mentality of trying to save ourselves, trying to outweigh the bad with the good, trying to do right by other people. We have some moralistic law code that we live by. But ultimately, if our life is centered around self, it's centered in pride. For all intents and purposes, ask yourself this question. How much of your schedule revolves around someone not you or not your immediate family? What in your schedule have you made margins for to serve the needs of others? Pride is a result of a life focused on self, but humility is a result of a life focused on God. I've I've said this before. Do you know what the, the one lesson I have learned that rings clear as a bell in my year and a half of ministry here at North? 
leading this church, shepherding this church, you know the number one takeaway? I am ill-equipped to lead this church. I ain't got what it takes, y'all. I don't have it. Man, I've got some strengths, but I've got some glaring weaknesses. Nobody amen that. I've got some serious weaknesses. I am ill-equipped to do what God has called me to do. But y'all, that's the point. God's not going to call you to do things that you can accomplish on your own power. God's going to call you to things that require faith so that when those things are accomplished, he's the only one that gets the glory. What we are doing here at North is nothing about a reflection on Alan Ostrisky. I'm just the one God chose. We are here because of the prayers of a lot of people for many, many years. We are here because of the mission of God that has called us. We are here because of the vision of Dusty McLemore a few years ago. We are here for a lot of different reasons, least of which is me. Because what God has called me to is bigger than I am. But that's the point. That's how every day when I see 30, over 30 teenagers packed in a room lit with black lights, playing kickball and probably getting too competitive, truth be known. Uh, when I see parents surrendering their life to Jesus, when I see kids following suit, when I see us needing another building right now because our children's space is packed out, when I see those things, y'all, I don't think, man, I'm good. I think, thank God for his goodness. Because there is nothing here. That's the point. A life focused on self is a life that ends in pride, a life focused on God is one that will lead to humility. Secondly, we see, we see what his uh, revelation was of himself. Secondly, we see the requirement of the prophet. Listen to what it says in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from tong, with tongs from the altar. Where was the altar? What was the altar? The altar was where they made sacrifice. People laid down things. They would give the best that they had, actually. They would lay it down before the Lord. It was ever, the, the temple had an altar, and they would make sacrifices daily in the temple. It was the job and the role of the priest to make sacrifices for the sins of people. There was guilt offerings, and there was peace offerings, and there were uh, ash offerings, and there were guilt offerings, and there were love offerings, and there were offerings upon offerings upon offerings. All of these required sacrifice. The altar was a place that people laid down themselves. Lay down what they held most dear. And the seraphim came and he took a burning coal from that altar. This is a coal from my fire pit. We are doing floors in our house right now, which that's a job, especially for someone that's not handy. Uh, that's a job. And we are burning some of the stuff that we were uh, that we were keeping some of the cardboard and things like that that we just didn't want to didn't want to have to get rid. Of. We we were burning some of that, and this is some of the residue of some of the wood and the cardboard that we burned. Now this is not a burning coal, but it was earlier today. Actually, had to hose it down so I could bring it to you. The 
the angel came, the seraph came with a coal, a piece of coal, and we know where it was headed. By the way, so did Isaiah. Isaiah knew that this was not going to be a comfortable experience for him. Isaiah knew that this coal was meant to cleanse and meant to purify. And he knew that he was a man of sin. He'd already said it. But he had said, I'm undone, right? I'm being destroyed. There is no hope for me. But the angel came. He grabbed a coal, burning coal from the altar. And he came toward Isaiah. Isaiah knew that there would be consequence for his sin. Knew that there would be consequence for the life that he lived, for his shortcomings and for his mistakes. But given the compromised state he was in, the prophet knew what was coming. But, and so sin has consequences. But God gave me this, this this week as I was studying. Sin has consequences, but it's better to live with consequences than to live under condemnation. It's better to live with consequence than it is to live in condemnation. Isaiah came to the revelation, I am undone. I will be destroyed. What God offered through the altar was forgiveness, was atonement. What he offered, yes, there were consequences, right? It's going to burn him. It's going to hurt. There's going to be pain involved. And anytime we lay down pieces of ourself, it hurts. There's a pain. There's a discomfort involved. There's consequences. But there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For those that are in Christ. And so, and so this coal being brought to the lips of, of Isaiah would bring pain. But better consequences than condemnation. Despite the pain that it would cause, Isaiah knew that this coal would restore him to right relationship with the king. Instead of being destroyed, Isaiah knew that this would provide purification of the sin. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm unprepared. I'm undone. God in his throne offered the altar. Finally, in your notes, although we experience God's greatness at the throne, this is adoration, we experience His greatness, we experience His goodness at the altar. You may be thinking, Alan, well, hang on. Experience God's goodness, you just said it's going to hurt. You said it's going to be uncomfortable. Better to live under, in consequences than under condemnation. And so, sure, there's sin, but God has taken the sting of death from us. We, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. He has made a way for us to be in right relationship with him. Isaiah didn't have to die having witnessed the holiness of God. God offered the altar. Every Sunday... We have this altar that is open for you to respond. Now, this isn't a place where you come and offer animal sacrifices. Don't do that. That's weird. That'll mess up a Baptist service real quick. All right? Bring your lambs and your goats in. Don't do that. 
But make no mistake, this is a place where you lay down things. You do business with God. Where you lay down parts of yourself that are out of alignment with Him so that you can be restored in right relationship. And so this... This altar is open for you. When we, we will have a time of invitation. And y'all, as long as there's an altar, for the Old Testament, as long as there was an altar, there was a way to get to God. There was a way to have access to God. And listen, the fact that we are having an invitation, that you are gathered here, is the fact that there is still a way to get to God. There will be a time where there's not going to be a way. God's invitation is forever. God doesn't tarry. He is coming forever. There's a time when that moment and period in history is over. And so Isaiah would say in Isaiah 55, to call on the Lord while he is near. While he can be found, salvation is made available for you today. That's a dangerous game to push back what you know God is calling you to lay down at the altar. We see his greatness at the throne, but we see his goodness at the altar. Would you experience his goodness today? Would you come? Would you experience the freedom? Yeah, there may be consequences, but there's not condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thirdly and finally, we see the resolution for the prophet. Look at verse (coughs) 6. Excuse me. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He touched my mouth. The seraph touched his lips. Why? Because it was already the source of his transgression, right? He said, I am a man of unclean lips. He recognized his, the, the, his, his lips as the thing that had transgressed, that made him unholy. And so the angel came, the seraph came and touched his lips because of that, but also because God desired to use his unholy lips to communicate his holy message. He came and placed the coal on his lips because God had a message to communicate through the prophet Isaiah, through his lips. And so Isaiah's blistered lips would be how God communicated his message to his people. Through the scarred face of having a hot coal press to his lips, God would communicate his message to his people. I want to remind you that God often uses our greatest hurts to bring about the greatest good. One thing is clear in everything that I have experienced in my life, hurts that I have gone through, is that God will not waste your pain. He won't do it. Instead, he desires for the story of your pain and your trouble to turn them into your testimony. And the place that God hurt for Isaiah became the place that God would minister and speak to a nation. God can use your brokenness. He can use your imperfections. 
And God can use that to bring him ultimate glory. And when we focus on our imperfections more than we focus on what God could do with them, then we are not being humble as we may suppose. We are being prideful. We are placing all the emphasis on ourselves and none on the forgiving, transformative power of God in our life. That our place of our greatest hurt can be the place of our greatest ministry. The Old Testament coal, ultimately, the Old Testament coal that provided covering for a sin, the sin of of Isaiah, the sin of his lips, points to a New Testament Christ that would provide conquest for all sin. The word that is used there is your sins have been taken away, your, or excuse me, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. That word literally means annulled or covered. It's been covered. Your sin has been covered. As I've been laying this floor, when we tore up the the floor that we had before, we uncovered a very unlovely thing. There was plenty of unlovely subfloor underneath. So what did we do? We put pretty floor over it. We covered it. Your sins have been covered. This is what is offered through the Old Testament. The covering of sin. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 as we end today. Let's end on one of the most life-changing passages of Scripture that we could ever read. Colossians 2 beginning in verse 13. And you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Not covering, y'all. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside. I love what the King James says. This he took it away. He removed it from us, nailing it to the cross. Why is there no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? Because Christ nailed it to the cross. He nailed what the, the end result of what my sin brings, the end result of what your sin could bring. He nailed it to the cross. He didn't cover it. He took it away. He completely canceled the debt. He bore in his body the condemnation of our souls so that we could be in right relationship with him. It looked like a coal for Isaiah. It looks like Christ for us. Not for one thing, but for all sin. Not just our sin, but for the sins of the whole world. And my friend, that's what I invite you to respond to today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? God has made a way for us to be in right relationship with him.
But salvation comes by grace through faith. And if you're here today and you don't know that you have a personal relationship with Christ, I want you to know you're still living in the condemnation of your sin. My friend, if you were to die today outside of a relationship with Christ, you'd split hell wide open. And I don't say that to scare you into salvation. I say that to merely speak reality in your life as I read God's word and God's truth. But you don't have to stay there. He's provided a covering for you. He's provided a way that your sins can be removed. The consequences may remain, but they will not condemn you because Christ has taken our condemnation. My friend, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sin, He rose from the dead three days later, and you surrender your life to Him in faith, you give up what you have in order to receive what He has in return. If you are willing to do that today, you can have salvation. You can have this relationship with Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And so for you, I would just ask that you would respond in faith. In a moment, we're going to pray. And listen, this invitation isn't just for those that need to receive Christ. Listen, maybe you need to join Lindsay Lane North. Join what we're doing here. Join our ministry. We would love to do that. We'd love to talk to you about the steps and how you can take part in that. But I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm here at the front at the end of this center aisle. I would love to talk to you about salvation, about membership, about baptism, about anything that you need to do in order to get right with the Father. But maybe you need to bypass me altogether. Maybe you just need to find this altar. And maybe you need to lay down stuff that's been holding you back for far too long. You know that you're a child of God, but you you have lived with one foot in the world for a long time. Maybe it's time for you to give up yourself. But I pray that you would respond as the Holy Spirit leads in this invitation. Father, have your will and way in this place. God, we trust you. We love you. Let us respond to you as you, the lover of our soul, have done it all for us. Have canceled the debt. God, I pray that we would respond in gratitude and thanksgiving and joy to this relationship that you've afforded us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for what you're going to do in this time.